Uh, my brother, he was five ounces, he weighed, he was five ounces bigger than I was, but I said, you know what, I'm coming out first. And so I, so I did, and from that point on, there was no stopping me. I cried when I got wet and I was hungry. I got mad when someone took my toys. I pouted when life didn't go my own way, and I fought first to play the Atari. Atari, what's that? Well, it's like the, the first version or so of Nintendo. So you would, you would, kids today probably couldn't play it, just like we can't play what they have. All throughout my life, I've wanted what I wanted, when I wanted it, and how I wanted it. Can you verify that? Yes. And for 16 years of marriage, she says, I know that's true. But I really don't think, I really hope I'm not the only person who falls into this category. Anybody else willing to admit they're selfish too? Or my spouse is selfish? Somebody is selfish? Okay. Uh, today we're, gonna be, we're not going to be talking about being selfish. We're going to be talking about being the opposite. And that's about being a servant. We're going to first of all see the human struggle to serve, which is something we can all relate to. Next we're going to look at the godly example of serving, which I think we all can appreciate. And finally, the reward of serving, which we can all enjoy. So first of all, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 11. We're going to just start with the first two verses. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem each other as better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also to the interest of others. A few weeks ago, two weeks ago, we talked about uh, the family of God and kind of how the family of God is supposed to look. He says, if you have any comfort from his love, uh, if any compassion, these kinds of qualities that we have experienced from God, Paul says, this is what you need to demonstrate to each other. Today, we're going to be looking at how the body of Christ, the family of Christ, is not supposed to behave. And apparently these were things that the church in Philippi struggled with. The first was the struggle with selfish ambition. The idea is to do something for someone else with the thought of what I'm going to get in return. There's a struggle with vain conceit. Doing something else uh, for somebody for my personal glory so that I look good in your eyes. The third was the struggle to think of themselves over other people to put other people's cares and needs and desires over my own. And the fourth was the struggle only to look out for myself, to take care of my needs and what do I want. Now, how did this really look like? Uh, what did this really look like in the church of Philippi? I don't know. What I can read from Scripture is the same that you, thing that you can read. You know, perhaps when they, they struggled with selfish ambition, they did it with the idea of I'm going to invest in someone else's life because when I need a favor, they can help me. That's my sole reason, is, is to invest, to say, I will help this person because I know my time of need is coming, and I want them to help me back. That's not the right motive. Perhaps they struggle with vain conceit. Was they, they, for an example, a lot of people gave to help Paul on his ministry, on his mission trip. And perhaps somebody gave a large a sum of money, and everybody else noticed and said, wow, I can't believe you gave this much money. I can't believe you did this much money for Paul. We find other examples kind of that in the Bible. In Acts chapter 5, you have these two people by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. They sold their property, and they gave the money to the church and said, this is the total amount of the house, of what we got for the house. We're giving it all to the church. And was that really true? No, they kept back a chunk for themselves. And why did they do that? Well, in chapter 4, you have Barnabas, who did that very first, that thing first. He sold 
his, his land or his house, and he gave all the money to the church. And I imagine there was a big story about this. I'm sure everybody knew, look what Par- Barnabas had done. And so Ananias and Sapphira said, you know what, I like that. I like that attention. I like those kudos. I'm going to do that as well, except for I don't want to give as much as they gave. I just want to look like it. So maybe that was their motive for doing that. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 1, 1 and 2, it says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. I was, I was always hoping to uh, preach on this verse. Uh, I'm not going to do what I was going to do at that point, but it says, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I was going to go start playing the piano, and I was going to walk up here and put money in the offering and say, hey, look what I did, right? And that's the kind of thing. They were trying to get the praise of men. That's why they're making such a big deal. But uh, the Bible says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing if you're going to do that kind of thing. They struggled with only putting themselves first. Now, maybe this is going to be a shocker, but in the Philippi church in Philippi, maybe that meant I was going to take the best seat for myself and I was going to be in the front row of the house church. That, w- that was possibly said, I want what's best here in Baker. I, or Plevin, I can't even pick on anybody. I'd say that's the back row, but nobody took the back row. Uh, so they, they, I don't know what it was that they were doing to only look out for themselves uh, or putting other people's first. But then it says they, they struggled with only looking out for themselves. You know, two weeks ago, we saw that they were really good at about helping Paul on his missionary trips. They all gave uh, great amounts of money. They gave till it hurt in order to help Paul on his mission trip. When he's in Thessalonica, they sent him aid again and again. When he's in Philippi, they sent Epaphroditus, here, take all these resources and take them to Paul. So they were willing to give above and beyond in order to help Paul. But apparently, they didn't do such a hot job with each other. And Paul was saying, if you receive comfort, if you receive love, if you receive anything good from the Lord, guess what you're supposed to do with it? You're supposed to use that on each other. The other people in your congregation, you should share that. However the, the human struggle looked to, in order of, of serving others, they recognized it and they understood it. But the human struggle to serve is not something that was just found you know, 2,000 years ago in a little town called Philippi. This is found in the American church. This is the struggle that I have. This is the struggle of me. The struggle with selfish ambition, the, the, the idea of to do something with the thought of, of not getting, of, of the, the idea of giving you something in order to get something for myself. Does the word politician come to mind? I'm going to promise you something in order that you give me, I'll give you my, if you give me your vote, I'll give you whatever it is that you're asking for. Now we can do that in a church today. Not that we're going to vote for anybody in any positions, but we can send a card in order to get a card. We can uh, invite someone over for dinner and, and the hopes of getting invited back over for dinner. We can give a gift uh, with the thought that I'm probably going to get a g- gift back from this person. Anybody, you know, in America, this is really common. When's the last time that you got a gift from somebody and you didn't give them something? I mean, if it's your birthday, maybe it's a little bit different. But if somebody out of the blue gives you something, don't you feel this indebtedness, like I want to give something back to people? Anybody feel that way? If you give me something, I feel like I need to give something back. That's the way America works, and so I could take advantage of this. I could give somebody something knowing that they're going to probably feel guilty and give me something back. This is a struggle with vain conceit, and that's doing something for personal glory, to look good in the eyes of other people. And I'm telling you the truth. I struggle with that constantly. You guys have heard of the five love languages. Uh, There's the words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, 
quality time and physical touch. You guys have heard of that, right? Okay, so uh, don't get me wrong, I love all of those. And if the physical touch is from the right person, it's great. I don't just need hugs from people randomly, but you get the idea. The right things from the right people is exactly right. But my, my love language, if you really want to float my boat, you know, is, is words of affirmation. And how do I get that? How do I get words of affirmation? Like, Josh, you're a good guy. You've done a good job. Well, I have to do something or I have to say something while other people are watching, right? In order for you to know how great I am, you got to see me do it or you got to hear that I did it. And so I struggle not to make sure that that is known because I, words of affirmation is just what I like to hear. And really, who else in this church gets paid to be good? <laughs> right? It's me. And if I want to keep my job, I, I feel like i got to make sure you at least know a little bit that I did something so that you will keep me here. So, uh, yeah, so that's something that I struggle with. Okay, when we have the struggle to think of others over ourselves. You know, I've already admitted that fault, too. And I, I imagine some of these examples you can relate to. Who, kids? You ever get a new game system or a new game or a new basketball or a new something? Who wants to use it first? Me, right? Kids are going to relate to that. There's one last cookie on the plate, one last piece of cake. Who's getting that? Me, <laughs> right? In my house, I'm getting it. Uh, or if you go to the store, big city, there's one parking spot right in the middle. Who wants it? Me, right? So it's, it's easy to struggle to think of myself over other people. You know, and there's a struggle to do that because there's lots of ways to do that. You know, we've all seen people who are in need, someone who's physically in need, financially in need, or emotionally involved or in need. And why is it hard? Because if you get involved, it's going to cost you something. It's going to take something. For example, if I get physically involved with someone with a project, it's going to take time away from what I want to do. If I go help you build your fence, all of a sudden my projects are not going to get done at least when I want them to get done. If I give in order to help Let's say Mrs. Benner on something. That means I'm giving my resources to help her, and all of a sudden I can't buy what I want, X, Y, or Z. Or if I get, uh, you know, comforting somebody, if I get emotionally involved, you know, comforting somebody who's hurting, that can be an indefinite amount of time. It's uncomfortable, right? That's hard. It is hard, at, le at least from my point of view, it is hard to invest and, and get uh, to be willing to serve I put other people's needs over myself because it's going to cost me something. The human struggle to serve is real. It's hard to put other people first, but don't let it stop you. Now, on the flip side of that coin, you don't have to be a doormat, right? In verse 4, it says, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. It is okay to look out for the interest of yourself, which obviously you guys did. How many people here had breakfast this morning, if you wanted to eat breakfast? Okay, how many people are wearing clothes this morning. Okay, so you guys fed and you closed yourselves. I'm sure you went to sleep last night. You know, you, you took a shower if that's what you needed because you love yourself. We don't really need a big speech about how do you take care of yourself. We all know that. The idea here is to make sure that while you're taking care of yourself, you're also willing to take care of other people. So we have the human struggle to serve. Now we have the godly example uh, in serving, and that's verses 5 through 8. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now this, I'm, I'm, 
I was thinking this is like the worst Sunday to say, hurry up and speak. Because there is like this much that I've already tried to cram into this much, and I, hopefully it will be simple. And I'll say this is the point that I want you to take away from it today when I'm done with this little section. Um, but I want to, there's so much in here that I'd like to just uh, touch on a few of these things. It says, he being in the form of God, Jesus was in the form of God. It doesn't mean the external form, even though to some extent Jesus was in the form of God. Uh, because when he came down to earth, he got a human body. When Jesus was up in heaven, before he came down, he didn't look like me. He did not have a human body that you can pinch and that you can feed and that you had to, to take care of. But what it's talking about is that it refers to the essential attributes of God. Jesus, who was in the form of God, he was God. He was just. He was righteous. He was holy. He was merciful. It's all those constant things that is never changing about who God is. It's not the physical form that has the opportunity to stretch and just scar and to change. It was the permanent internal qualities of God. Jesus existed as God in heaven because Jesus is God. Jesus was God. And there's numerous verses in the Bible that help to make that clear. If you'd like to look up two of them, John 1.1, which kids in the want to know, and Titus 2.13, which is one of my favorite ones, while we wait for the blessed hope of our glorious in God, Jesus Christ. Right, it's saying it's putting Jesus Christ as God together to say that he is the same. And Jesus, who is in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now that gets a little confusing, at least for my little brain. Uh, robbery uh, can be explained or expressed in three different ways. One is the act of robbing, to take something. Uh, number two is the thing being robbed, such as a piece of plunder. Or and number three is that it's a prize, it's something to be grasped. And that's the way that it's being used in this situation. The New American Standard Bible says uh, that he did not consider it something to be grasped. Uh, I believe that's the translation. If I'm quite off, I'm, I'm sorry about that. But I know that that's uh, written down in, in one of those versions. But, it, uh, but what it means is he, he made himself, he did not take advantage of his God position. While he was in heaven, he had the glory. When he came down to earth, he didn't take advantage of that and say, while I'm on earth, worship me, treat me like the God that I am up in heaven. He was willing to, verse 7 says, make himself of no reputation, make himself nothing. The New American Standard Version says he emptied himself. Now there's a lot of confusion of, over what does it mean that Jesus emptied himself. Well, first of all, I just want to point this out, that this was a choice. Jesus wasn't forced to come down to earth. He wasn't pushed out of heaven. It was something he decided to do. So when you think about being a servant for somebody and how I don't really want to do that, remember, Jesus chose to come down to this earth. So when he made himself nothing, when he emptied himself, it doesn't mean that Jesus gave up being God. He didn't, uh, you know, when, when you talk about emptying yourself or emptying something, it sounds like the removal of something. As if Jesus said, okay, I'm going to leave God side up in heaven. I'm going to come down to earth just as a man. That's not the case. Jesus, if he gave up his godly qualities, he would no longer be God. Hebrews 13.8 says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. At whatever point, if he, if he ever decided, I'm not going to do this for one day, I'm not going to be just, I'm not going to be loving, I'm not going to be honest, he would not be God. So he is God, past, present, and future. But what it means seems kind of like an opposite, kind of an odd concept. When he emptied himself, it wasn't the removal of something. It was actually the taking on of humanity with its limitations. Jesus is 100% fully God, 
and he is, a, he is fully man. He has 100% human nature. He has 100% God nature, and they work together. They do not overlap. They do not mix. They do not mingle. If you have the color of blue and you have the color of yellow, what happens when you put them together? You get the color of green. And a lot of people think that that's what happened with Jesus with his God humanity or with his God nature and his human nature. They think they somehow blended together, but they didn't. They're like this. They're two separate, but they work hand in hand in order to get us the salvation that we need. When Jesus came down to earth, he had this, the, the God body. And when he, be, he became, he was born, he was conceived in the, in the flesh by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb. He took on the human nature, and he went through everything like that we are. And there's this really fancy word that helps us to understand something about God that we should just stop and ponder for a while. And it's called the theanthropic man, which means the God-man. And Jesus, he's up in heaven with one form, like however physical form, spirit that is. When he came down to earth, he took on a human form. And guess what? That is never leaving. He's never going to give that up. He's going to keep this human form. And what, how amazing is that? That God, was, who's creator of the universe, said, I'm going to take the form of the people that I'm coming to earth to rescue. I mean, that just blows my mind with how much he loves me, how much he's willing to serve me, how much he's, he's willing to relate to me by taking this very same form that I am in order to reach me. It just, it's such an amazing thing. While Jesus was here on earth, he at times operated within his human nature and other times operated within his God nature. You know, when he was, um, it's a few examples of while he was on earth, he hungered, he thirsted, he was tempted. He, uh, he didn't know in, in the man's nature side of him when he was coming back. You find in Matthew uh, 24, 36, it says not even the Son of Man doesn't even know when he's coming back. The God side of him knew that because if he wasn't omniscient and didn't already know that, he could not be God, but he had both natures. But the man side didn't know, but the God side did. But at times he operated within the God nature because he raised Lazarus from the dead, right? Man can't do that unless it's through God's power, but the God power in him was able to do that. Uh, he was able to feed 5,000 people. So sometimes he operated within the man nature, Sometimes they operate within the God nature, but they did not mix. They did not mingle. They are two separate natures. And when he came, he came in the form of a servant. That's where we get the idea today of serving. He came in the form of a servant. You know, he could have worked it out so that he was born in a palace, that he had all sorts of guards, that he had all sorts of people to, uh, to serve him. But it says in Matthew 20, verses 28, it says he didn't come to be served, but to serve and gave his life as a ransom for many. He says, I'm coming to serve you in a way that you cannot help yourself. And he came in human likeness. He came in human flesh. When you pinched him, he said, ow. Right? When he skinned his knee, it hurt. Uh, you know, and Jesus, I don't know what you would do. If you were to come down to earth, at what you would come down looking like. If you were a guy, would you come down looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger? Or Fabio? You know, or if, if you were a girl, whoever, the most prestigious beautiful girl you could think of. Jesus didn't even do that. Um, Isaiah 53, verse 2, it says, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He says, I'm going to come down, I'm just going to look like a normal person and not even a great-looking person at that. He could have come with and showed off his wisdom, his muscles, his anything, but he says, I'm just coming down as a servant in human likeness, just the same as everybody else. 
but that whole time he did not cease to be God. He didn't change from being God and now a man. There's two separate natures. And it says he was humbly obedient. He didn't whine. He didn't complain. He didn't throw a tamper tantrum like I would. He said, okay, this God, God the Father, this is what you've called me to do. I will be obedient and I will do this. And he, he was obedient to death on the cross. Like the most painful, most embarrassing, worst way they had to die back then, Jesus says, that's what I will do in order to pay for the price of the sins of the whole world. And it's important that he did that because as a man, Christ could represent man as he died as a man. But as God, that's the only way that death would have counted to pay for the punishment that we deserved. If Jesus was just another man, it'd be like me dying for the world. What's that going to matter? Nothing, right? It doesn't say goodbye, thank you, or whatever, but it doesn't do anything for you. Jesus says God was the only way that death was going to count. And it counted because Jesus is God. So here's the point. The point is that Jesus, who's God, chose not to take advantage of his position and he came to earth just like we were. He experienced what we experienced in order to pay the price for our sins and help, the, help us face the situations in life that we are going to face. And Jesus, or Paul, verse 5, I want you to see this. Verse 5, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The, ex the godly example that we have in Jesus, he says, look, Philippian church. We can say, look, American church in Plevna, this is what you need to do. You need to have the same kind of mentality in serving each other, the same mentality in serving Jesus and serving the world as Jesus had in serving us. You say, I don't like this person. I don't like that activity. I don't like, it doesn't matter. Jesus can look down from heaven and say, I don't like any of you, right? Because what, what am I going to have to do on the cross for these people? And how many times have me, Josh McLaughlin, sinned over and over when I shouldn't have, right? And I'm saying thank you, but I'm like, I still deserve death every day, but Jesus says, I love you. So don't let the fact that I don't like this person, that this person has done X, Y, and Z to me, stop you. Be that servant, uh, whatever position you're in. If you're in the highest position as the boss or the lowest position as the, the, the slave, make sure that you are willing to serve like Jesus was willing to serve. So we have the human struggle to serve, which we all can relate to, and we have the uh, the God example of serving, which we can all appreciate, because Jesus did that for you, and uh, Jesus did that for me, and I certainly can appreciate it. And then we have the third, the reward in serving, which we can all experience, verses 9 through 11. It says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. There, for, a better, for, the, for the best way I can put this, Jesus was rewarded I don't, for, for coming down to this earth to die on the cross as a man. For, for lack of a better, better, better way to put it, that's what I'm going to say he was rewarded. It says that he was exalted to the highest place. It's almost like he was super exalted. He was exalted to the right hand of the throne of God. And, uh, you know, and he, he got his glory back. Because when he came down to earth, John 17, 4 and 5 talks about how he says, Okay, God. Restore that glory that I had with you before the creation, before I came down to this earth. And so when he went back, he was exalted to his rightful place, having the glory of God that he was supposed to have. He was given the name above every name. 
Now that's not, it's, there's a debate on what is this name that, that Jesus has that he got that was above every name. Some say it was the name of Jesus. He had that on earth, so it's kind of hard to see it that way. Some say that he was the son of God. Uh, but what makes the most sense was that he was actually receiving the name God. The, the, we see the word Lord, uh, that at the name of Jesus uh, Christ, that at the name that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That word Lord is most oftentimes translated in the Old Testament as the word Jehovah, which is the name for God. You find in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, you find that God the Father is calling Jesus God. And I'm just going to read this for you. I think it may make it a tad bit easier to see. Okay, verse 8. About, but about the Son, which is Jesus, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So God the Father is calling Jesus God. So it makes the most sense that this is the name that Jesus is going to receive. Now, if Jesus is God, how come he's receiving this name, God, uh, as if he didn't already have it? He did have it because Jesus is God. But as Jesus as the God-man, the theanthropic man, the, the one that we are going to be able to see, it's almost as if here's the proof that I'm telling you that this is just for the human, I think, experience to say, okay, I'm willing to finally accept that Jesus is God. It's going, I think it's going to be said in front of everybody that this is truly God. And so it's, it's going to be known for what you and I already know. The whole world is going to know that he is God. And it says every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So your knees, even if you can't get down like this, are going to down like this and your tongue even if it doesn't work even if people who say I do not want to say it they're going to have to say it you know some people are going to say it out of faith you know I imagine people in here say I believe in Jesus you are Lord and I praise you for that I'll I confess that Jesus is Lord some people are going to do it out of faith some people are going to do it out of fear boy I sure hope I'm appeasing God here that I'm going to say this because I'm scared to death I got I'm just going to say this and hope that this works which, by the way, is too late to, to gain salvation. And some people are going to do it out of force. They're not going to be able to control themselves. They're not going to be able to stop themselves. You think about the worst people who, who have want nothing to do with God are going to be the people who are still going to be putting their knees on the floor and those words are going to be coming out of their mouth. Uh, Joseph Stalin, I, I did a little research on him, and, and there's conflicting reports about what he's really doing. But what I read and what I heard was before he died, it's like he shook, he stuck his hands in the air. It's like he shook his fist at God as almost as if to say, I'm still not surrendering. That's one person's interpretation of what he was doing. And then he just fell down dead. Joseph Stalin's knees are going to be on that floor, and those words are going to be coming out of his mouth. He's going to be admitting that Jesus is Lord. But don't be counting on that time, because even if it comes out at that time, it's too late. And so... If we're willing to serve, Jesus was rewarded. We'll, we'll have the same opportunity to be rewarded. Now, Jesus is not going to say, hey, Josh, why don't you walk around with me and people can put their knees on the floor and say how great you are. No one's going to say a word. You're going to say, really, you made it? <laughs> you did, okay? You're going to be happy, but that's it. I'm not going to get that kind of recognition. You know, that love language thing is not going to be there. Um. But, but I will still be rewarded. I just have to be willing and humble enough to do it. I have to, to, to look past what I want. I got to look and say, this is what's best for you. 
and I've got to be willing to put myself in motion to do it. And if I do, there's multiple verses in the Bible that talk about how we will be rewarded if we do that. And even though we look and we say, well, what really does that mean? What really are we going to get? You know, there's, there's one verse, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, that I feel like is it's good enough for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. It says, No, I ha has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the hearts of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. All I know that if I serve you and I serve God and he's going to reward me, it's going to be more than I deserve. Right? I, I deserve just, I don't even deserve just a little spot in heaven. If I got that, I should be happy. But he says, I'm going to give you, it's going to be so much greater than what you ever could dream or hope. And I just have to trust and say, okay, I don't know if I, what these jewels are going to look like. I don't know what this crown is going to look like. I don't know anything, but I know that it's going to be better than what I can imagine. So keep that in your mind. When you're serving somebody, it's really the Lord Jesus you're serving, and that he's, God is going to reward you for that. Okay, so here's the recap. The human struggle. Josh is selfish. Okay? Uh, always has been and always will be. Number two, uh, the, the godly example of Jesus, that he's the perfect example of, of serving, and that's the example I need to shoot for. Uh, Jesus, who was God, chose not to take advantage of his position to come down to earth like was, that we are so he could die on the cross to pay for our sins, and so that he could help us face those temptations and those tough times so that he could comfort us with the things that we are going to need to be comforted with through the 70 years, the 80 years, the 20 years of our life. And number three is that we will be rewarded if we are willing to do that. So I want to challenge you. Get out there and find someone that you can serve. Make it your spouse. Make it your dad. Make it your little sister. Make it your, your that coworker at work that you can't stand. Make it your boss. Make it the neighbor next door who doesn't have a clue of what you are doing. Serve them. You have no idea what kind of impact it will make. I'm going to close with a quick story here a true story about a guy who was willing to serve and the kind of impact that it will make. I don't know what kind of impact it will make uh, when you choose to serve somebody, but just be encouraged and challenged to do it after, as I read this. Watchman Nee, he's a Chinese evangelist, tells of a Christian he once knew in China. He was a poor rice farmer, and his fields lay high in the mountain. Every day he pumped water into the patties of new rice, and every morning he returned to find that a neighbor who lived down the hill had opened the dike surrounding the Christian's field to water his own. Anybody here feeling frustrated? For a while the Christian ignored the injustice, but at last he became desperate. He met and he prayed with other Christians and came up with a solution. The next day the Christian farmer rose early in the morning and first filled his neighbor's fields, then he attended his own. Watchman Nee tells how the neighbor subsequently became a Christian, his own belief overcome by a genuine demonstration of Christian humility and Christ-like character. You know, I only became a Christian because of what Jesus was willing to do as a servant, by coming to the earth and dying on the cross to pay for my sin. That's the only reason I could do that. This guy had an impact on someone else's life because he's willing to serve them. So I just want to, I just want to say two things. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because he came down to this earth as a servant in order to give you eternal life. All you got to do is just ask. You got to take advantage of it. He's offered you the opportunity. Have you done that? And the second is, who are you going to serve in your life today? Who are you going to serve in this life this week? Uh, don't, don't let the fact that you don't like somebody, that no one's going to notice that 
Uh, don't let those kinds of things that stop you. Just remember that Jesus served you in a way that you didn't deserve and be willing to serve others in the same way. Let's pray. Father God, I am an unworthy person, but yet you decided to come down to this earth to show me love that I didn't deserve. God, you put yourself in, in a human body to suffer, to enjoy the experiences of life, the temptations, the fears, and the sorrows, and the things that I'm going to experience, and I thank you for that. Thank you, God, that you love me so much that you're patient with me, that you're forgiving with me. God, you know the human struggle to be selfish. You know that your uh, godly example is perfect, and I pray for each one of us, God, that we would be willing to put this into practice, that we won't just be a, a message that we hear and then go away hearing, but we would take every opportunity that we have to serve each other, God. And I, I thank you that you say that you'll reward us, and I pray that we would, would do the work uh, worthy of that reward. God, again, I just thank you so much for this free word. And I just pray again for Mrs. Benner, that you would help her to help from her, the surgery that she's going to have on Friday, and you just bless uh, this benefit with all the funds that are needed to help her in a special way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.